Welcome back to the Our View podcast. This episode is part of our Mental Health Monday series. These episodes will highlight topics related to mental health. The episodes will sometimes share the stories of those who have been medically diagnosed with mental health disorders, and other episodes in the series will share interviews with mental health professionals who will provide an overview of the different types of mental health diagnoses and their treatment options. These episodes are intended to be informational and educational only. It is not medical advice, and any information within these episodes is not intended to diagnose. We encourage you to always seek the guidance of your medical physician or clinician for any decisions regarding your medical needs and conditions. On this episode, I welcome my guest, Dr. Carlene McMillan. She is an adult and child psychiatrist at Brooklyn Minds. We discuss how she has used the social media platform Clubhouse to bring awareness to mental health diagnoses. I would like to welcome everyone back to another episode of the Our View podcast, where we aim to educate, raise awareness, and change the tone of conversation about disabilities. This episode is part of our Mental Health Mondays series, and I'm very happy to welcome my guest today, Dr. Carlene McMillan, to the podcast. So Carlene, welcome to the podcast, and I'm excited for our conversation today. Hi, happy to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining me, and um, you are... Uh, part of the uh, Brooklyn Minds uh, team there. And uh, Dr. Owen Muir uh, was a guest uh, on our podcast for two episodes earlier this year. And, <laughs> two, uh, wow. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> <Very> good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, and he was uh, kind enough to uh, reach out to uh, his colleagues there and, um, you know, for you all to uh, come on the podcast and, and speak about uh, your area of interest and expertise in the mental health field. So I'm very happy uh, to have you on uh, the podcast today. I'm happy to be on. Yeah, and he's actually, he's uh, more than a colleague. He's my husband. So we're uh, business partners and really? uh, and life partners. Yes. <laughs> I yes. never knew that. <laughs> yes. <Wow. laughs> so you learn something every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not everyone realizes that. I kind of just assume they do, but then many people do not. So no, I, I didn't know that. Wow, that's uh wow, that's cool. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. So um, you know, so so our conversation today, as I said, is part of our mental health Monday series. And that's something that I started here on the podcast to uh raise awareness about um mental health diagnoses and how they have uh, had an impact um on you know, society, especially in the last year and a half of us all dealing with the uh, pandemic and being isolated from our friends and family and just um, not being able to socialize with people in our typical in-person way uh, for what seems like such a very long time now. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, so, so I would, I would love to uh, get into this conversation by just um, asking you to tell us who you are. Who is Dr. Carlene McMillan? Sure, so yeah, so I am an adult and child psychiatrist. Uh, I trained up in Boston at Harvard and then stayed at the Mass General McLean system um, from basically medical school to through my first job. Um, and when I was at McLean, I really worked a lot with people with more severe mental illness, people with personality disorders, complex 
post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, you know, people were really needing kind of more specialized uh, help in that hospital setting. McLean is one of the, if not the best um, psychiatric hospital uh, in the country, or some would even say the world. So it was a really good training ground, really good mentorship there. And then um, I relocated to New York, um, I guess, almost seven years ago now. Wow, it goes by fast um, to basically start my own practice. I was briefly at NYU, but uh, went out on my own and formed Brooklyn Mines with my husband. Um, it started off just the two of us. And now we have around 80 employees, uh, about 30 of whom are clinicians of various different specialties. And we really have a team-based approach uh, to, to helping folks for whom help has traditionally not been particularly helpful. Um, so we tend to deal with people who've been in and out of hospitals, in and out of emergency rooms, treaters have declined to work from that, work with them, you know, people that really have severe psychiatric illness. And we see a lot of them getting a lot better uh, with the right treatment by the right team. So the work is uh, in the outpatient setting and is is very very rewarding. So that's kind of my uh, my day job has been building that practice, um, and then in my copious spare time, which has become uh, you know more part of my my life now, is uh, being more public facing and teaching the general public about mental illness. And I do that um, through two main channels. The first is through something called the American Academy of Child Adolescent Psychiatry. That's the professional organization for us child psychiatrists. I'm the co-chair of their consumer issues committee, where we develop all kinds of materials for families and young people about everything from ADHD to gender identity, anxiety around climate change, you name it, we probably have a facts for families on it. Um, and then the other thing that I do is I'm very active on Clubhouse, which is a new social audio platform. Uh, I think of it like a live call-in radio meets podcast meets academic panel where we can go on and do a show, ask me anything about bipolar disorder and people from literally all over the world will come and ask us questions. And of course, we're not giving treatment advice, but there's a ton of general information that we can give and um, really reduce stigma and tackle a number of the myths that people have about mental illness. So very passionate about doing that. Um, it really, uh, I think, is informed by the work I do clinically, but now being able to share it uh, on a much wider scale, I think is really important. That's great. And, um... You know, we're getting into both of those things in this conversation, so I'm really excited to hear uh, more about the work that you're doing on Clubhouse. That's actually where I met uh, Owen. Uh, oh, good. Yeah, oh, cool. through Clubhouse. Uh, <laughs> yeah. See, so, it's magical. All kinds it of connections. Is. It, is. it has really brought so many, it's, it's made so many connections for me for this podcast. Uh, they have a, a very large uh, disability community on Clubhouse, and they also have a very they large do. mental health community on Clubhouse. And it has mm -hmm. been, it, it's been great to uh, just share in different conversations with people uh, on on any topic you can think of. There's most likely a room on Clubhouse for it. <laughs> and, exactly, from Bravo TV to, as you said, to disability accessibility, everything in between. Right. Yeah. yeah there's uh, just so many different um, different rooms that you can go into and and talk about whatever mm -hmm. you want. And it's been a very uh, for me, it's it's I've I found it to be a very safe space for me to 
share parts of my story uh, with complete strangers. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but there's something. Isn't it funny how it's more comfortable it to is. share sometimes, especially with a no video too, it's yes. audio only. And that's, <laughs> I was just going to say that I think it has a lot to do with the, the audio, the voice piece, you know, just hearing somebody's voice and it's just like, okay, sure. I'll share every part of my life with you and all of the, <laughs> all of the things that I yep. didn't know were bothering me. I'll just share it here on here on this platform with you all who I've never met. Um, mm -hmm. So, so yes, I'm, I'm very uh, happy to hear that, that you're doing uh, such great work on Clubhouse. Um, but before we get into that, I would love to hear more about um what the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry is. And um, you said you're the co-chair of their Consumer Issues Committee. So I would love to hear, um, you know, what that is and, and a little bit more about the work that you do there and why it's, it is so important. Sure. So, yeah, I've been involved with ACAP, I think, um, when I was even in medical school. I went to a conference and they have really strong mentorship program for people that are kind of going, going into the field. Um, we have a massive shortage of child psychiatrists in the country and, and internationally. Um, so it's sort of so important to find those new, young, excited, passionate minds. Um, and I got involved at the committee level during my child fellowship. Um, I wanted to, I knew I wanted to be involved in the organization and meet people. And the Consumer Issues Committee had an opening for a trainee. Um, and it was a really exciting committee because they they produce all the materials on the website. It gets massive reach, you know, millions of views. People uh, people searching. So parent parent might be searching for autism. They might be searching for bedwetting. Whatever it is, ACAP stuff will really come to the top. And it's meant to be at the seventh grade reading level. Um, it's also being translated into multiple languages. It's something that really a wide range of people hopefully can read it and get something actionable from it because there's so much sort of garbage information on the internet. There's so much, well, I saw it on Reddit, or I saw it on some parenting forum, but it's totally bogus. So we really try to keep the information up to date. We periodically review it, um, keep it pretty non-controversial, right? It's not a place for me to share my opinions. It's really about our, to share the state of the field. Um, and so we were part of this committee and over time, uh, ended up becoming the co-chair, um, right? It's a committee that people stay on for many years if they get really invested in it. And it's been a great source of mentorship, networking, connection with psychiatrists kind of across the country, as well as just different stages of their careers. People just starting out to people who've retired. Um, and I love those meetings and I think you know, for, for anybody who has a professional organization that they could associate with, I would encourage them to, to really look into doing so because it can really just deepen, widen your perspective. And I know what's going on on the ground of New York, but now I also know what's going on in Colorado, you know, and like, I know what's going on even in, you know, the UK, like pe people coming together in this way um, is just so powerful. And so I really enjoy that work. I've always enjoyed writing, enjoyed, I don't, I don't like writing articles, like academic articles. My husband's always like, getting on me. Like you have this paper, you got to finish. I do not like doing that, that type of writing. It's so important, but it's just not where I excel. And I find that people are either 
really good at that scientific technical writing or that general public writing. And yeah. I've always really gravitated towards the general public, which is, I think, why I like a platform, a clubhouse as well, and Twitter, and just, just being able to, to take complex topics, put them in some form that the average person, I always think, like, if I say this to my mother, well, she, you know, she's a retired school teacher, and a smart person, but doesn't have a real academic background. Like, is my mom going to understand this thing? You know, if not, then we have to keep working until it's something that she can understand. Yeah, I think that is so important to, uh, you know, share the information, share accurate information, number one, um, mm -hmm. and then to share share it in such a way that is easily understood by someone who, you know, has has little or no knowledge of, of a particular topic. Uh, just because it's, it's, you know, it's like, what good does it do if people aren't able to understand it? If you're sharing all, all this great information, but it's in written or shared in such a way that it's, you know, above, above their heads, it, it's not, you know, it's not being beneficial to, to many or any. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's really, um, yeah, so that, that's really, really great. And, um, so, so now back to, uh, the, you know, one of the great inventions of 2020 clubhouse. <laughs> yeah. I, um, again, like I, I found such a, uh, a great space there and, um, you know, and, and a lot of my guests for this year on the podcast so far have been connections I've made on, uh, through clubhouse. And, uh, can you share with us, um, the work you're doing there on clubhouse and, um, you know, the, the mission that you have of, of sharing uh, topics related to mental health and information about mental health on that uh, platform. Sure. Yeah, we got on it like pretty early in the fall of last year. Um, and I don't even remember, like, I, I think the first something someone told me was like, oh, you might meet some investors on there. There's a lot of Silicon Valley people on there. You should, you should go on there and network, right? And I, when I when I went on there at first, um, I think I was really one of the, like, there was maybe like two or three psychiatrists on there. It was, it was like early days. I think there was like 10,000 users and now they have tens of millions of users. Right. Um, and we just started doing kind of like ask me anything rooms, myself, my husband, some of our other therapist colleagues. And there was this huge demand. Uh, we, we did a room, I remember early on, on borderline personality disorder. And, you know, at any given moment, there was like a thousand people in the room, right? And these were just, and it was like really easy for us because it was sharing from, it was the evening, it was after work. We could share information that we were used to sharing anyways. And uh, people were really appreciative. So we just started you know, doing more and more of that, meeting meeting more people who were sort of similarly able to do that. And we kind of learned, figured out pretty early on that there were more and more doctors on there and more and more psychiatrists, therapists, but, you know, a lot of them really were ivory tower-ish or they said, you know, there's us, the, there's us, the doctors, and there's them, the patients, and there's, you know, we know best. And I think we formed a club called Sphere, which we say is the shape of what's next in mental health. And we really wanted it to be inclusive. It's the, the sphere. Uh, and so when we would do rooms, we would be really inclusive of having people who have lived experience. Sometimes that might be the psychiatrist on the panel, right? My husband has bipolar, he talks about it openly. 
but we wouldn't just have people speaking at the audience. We'd have people who were, you know, people who had been involuntarily hospitalized, people who had been on lithium, people who have really lived these experiences, uh, contributing to the conversation um, in a way that I think wasn't uh, what it wasn't the norm. Maybe still isn't the norm, right? I think there's a lot of doctor rooms on there, and then there's a lot of rooms that are just patients and stuff, just people. And those rooms can be problematic too, right? Because then you can have people who really don't have that professional training and someone starts telling something traumatic and the moderator doesn't really know what to do with that. So I, I really like these blended rooms that have a mix of, of professionals, mix of people with the experiences. Um, and I think that really resonated with people. And so um, in early spring, Clubhouse announced they were going to be doing an accelerator called the Creator First program, where they were going to select uh, a number of shows to basically be incubated, to be promoted, um, and, and get really the full support of Clubhouse for several months. Um, I applied. I applied for this frontier psychiatrist concept because I figured, you know, when we're on the frontiers of, of social audio and also on the frontiers of what's new in the mental health field um, in our day-to-day -day practice. Um, and sure enough, it was selected um, as one of the things. I think they had 5,000 applicants and ultimately 25 shows were selected. <laughs> Ours wow. was amongst that. So, yeah. So, for the past several months, we've been doing a weekly show called New Frontiers, um, as well as our Ask Me Anything show. And we've been doing programming that's really general audience oriented, um, but, ha you know, has a mental health tie-in. So we did something about um, how people on TikTok and YouTube were um, saying they had dissociative identity disorder or Tourette's or other types of things where seems like many, many of the public don't actually have that and they're doing it just because that's what the algorithms are liking and it's very interesting discussion all the way to having carol baskin from tiger king talking about you know why people love exotic pets on the internet and <laughs> what can we do to change behavior around that right so it's been kind of a wild a wild ride um it's yeah it's been interesting to meet people and kind of continuing to do programming like that, um, that we did, we did a whole thing on free Britney, um, because that, that subject with Britney Spears really touched on a lot of issues that are near and dear to my heart around autonomy and, and mental illness and people being able to get help that helps versus help that's not helpful. Um, so it's been, it, it's been really, uh, great to have that platform. And it's led to meeting new colleagues. We've hired a couple people from the platform professionally, met new, you know, lifelong friends. It's it's been really cool. So definitely that's encourage great. people to check it out. It's not just Silicon Valley investors anymore, that's for sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> I really appreciate um what you're doing there, as you said, having the the combined rooms with the um, you know, the medical professionals and then also those who have the lived experiences. And as you mentioned, including some of the uh, doctors who have the lived experience of having the diagnosis as well, um, mm -hmm. because it, it does take away from that, oh, we're the doctors, we know we know best, as you said, or, or you know, yes. we're, we're the only answers and, uh, you know, we have all the answers kind of situation where it, it really provides a conversation between, you know, the medical professionals and uh, the patients. And it really, um, I, I think that's so, I think that's such a, a great way to, um, 
to share information and to um, help educate people because you do mm-hmm. have the true lived experiences of what certain people deal with and, and they, they experience with their diagnosis. And it's, you know, it's like for me living with spina bifida, every person that has a spina bifida diagnosis is different. They have different uh, different things that, that hurt them and, and their, their pain and, and different um, levels and, and abilities of mobility. So I walk mm-hmm. with leg braces and crutches, but I also use a wheelchair. There are some people with spina bifida who cannot walk with leg braces. So it, it really does um, provide an opportunity in, in your case with, um, you know, just using bipolar uh, disorder as a, um, a diagnosis, you can hear what one person's story is and how someone else who has a bipolar diagnosis has a completely different experience. And both right. are valid, both are real, both are, you know, worth uh, being acknowledged. And uh, I, I just love that you use that approach rather than the, hey, we're just going to have a panel filled with, uh, you know, with doctors to uh, share all this information and uh, not have a chance to hear from anyone else, uh, you know, who, who may be living with, with that diagnosis. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, if you've met one person with bipolar disorder, you've met one person with bipolar disorder, right? Yeah. So that's, we try to, we try to really keep that in mind. Um, And I think we have, we're known for having, I think, pretty nuanced, respectful conversations and handling people who, you know, maybe we've had people come up who are just downright hostile, you know, really anti-psychiatry, really, you know, and Oftentimes we agree with a lot of what they're saying, right? Which is they we have some slightly different take about what can be done about it, or maybe why it happened the way it is. But usually, criticism is based in some kind of valid uh, problem within the field or limitation within our with the system of as a whole. Yes, that is. Um, it, again, it's it's just great work that you all are doing there on Clubhouse and. Uh, you know, the, the potential to reach so many people through that one app, as you said, it started off with uh, just iPhone users and, you know, a couple thousand mm-hmm. people as uh, members. And you had to, I, I don't know if they still have the invitation system where you- They to, don't. Okay. It's open for everybody, yes. <laughs> out of beta. Right. <laughs> so at first it was an invitation only, you had to be invited by somebody. And then as you spent more time on the app, you got more invitations to send out to people. So- uh, yeah, but now it's open to everybody, so that that's even better. And mm-hmm. um, can you can you share with us where people can find you on Clubhouse? And um, you know, if they're interested in, um, you know, being a part of one of your rooms, like when do you host the rooms there? Absolutely, yeah. So my handle on there is at psychiatrist, which is very easy. <laughs> The benefits of if you ever get onto a social media platform earlier, get those get those names uh, straight away. Um, so yeah, I'm at psychiatrist, and then we have a website. Um, it's asksphere.club, um, and asksphere.club um, is really our our home where we list our upcoming shows. We have a list to our blog that has recaps of shows and some audio clips, and so. That really should be the starting point. If you go there, you can sign up and you'll get either a text or an email before our shows are starting. Um, and then once you're on the platform, join the Sphere Club, follow me. Um, you'll get, you know, you'll you'll, uh, you'll get good content that way. Yeah, great. Yeah. That is, uh, thank you for, for sharing that information with the, uh, with our listeners here. Uh, okay, so for our last question uh, for this conversation, 
um, men mental health diagnosis, uh, they are considered to be invisible disabilities. Yes, they are, uh, they are considered disabilities under the Americans with Disabilities Act. And that is something I always like to stress because a lot of people uh, forget that or they are unaware of that. Mm -hmm. um, so mental health diagnoses are considered invisible disabilities. Why is it important for someone who has a mental health diagnosis like ADHD or bipolar disorder to ask for appropriate accommodations? Mm. Yeah, this is a this is a huge issue. Um, so I think that because the accommodations can make a make a major difference. Um, so with ADHD, we're looking at things like extra time and taking testing in different uh, in different environments that aren't as distracting. And with bipolar disorder, we're oftentimes looking at accommodations around work schedules, around things like night shifts, um, things that really can be really problematic for someone with bipolar disorder. Um, as long as the role, like, you know, if you sign up for a job that's just only night shifts, like that's going to be difficult to accommodate. But if you're in a situation where you have some, um, we, we have some flexibility, then it's great to let somebody know and ask for those accommodations um, to not work, to not work nights um, makes a huge difference. Or even thinking about travel, like traveling across a bunch of time zones, right? If there's, if there is ability to do a meeting by Zoom, then that will be more helpful than traveling to California from, you know, New York, if, if it can be. Um, with ADHD accommodations, I think it's tricky. Um, some, some places have really unnecessarily draconian requirements around that. They are asking for specific neuropsych testing. There is no definitive neuropsych testing for ADHD. It is a clinical diagnosis. So, well, it's important to have documentation from a from a clinician, and there are some rating scales um, to spend several thousand dollars on advanced neuropsych testing for a simple ADHD diagnosis is unfortunately not uh, <laughs> doesn't make sense clinically. Some schools and things do require that, and it is a real barrier. Um, we try to educate wherever we can around that, um, but sometimes it's unavoidable. Um, but you know, most most doctors are able to provide enough documentation to get say extra time on people, you know, going to law school, taking tests for medical school, GREs, things like that. Uh, it's really important to ask for. And particularly if, if somebody had accommodations in high school and elementary school, when they're going to college, to be sure to plan in advance with the college around those accommodations. And if there's going to be any standardized tests to plan as far in advance as you can to get all the ducks in the row uh, paperwork, paperwork wise. Yes, it is. It's so important to start early <laughs> with uh, yes. planning for all of that. Yes, because it, it can take time. Uh, you are entitled to those accommodations and, um, you know, everyone might not be approved right away, but, you know, just through having the conversations and working through some things and talking out, uh, you know, what it is that you need, it is, um, you know, they, they can... Uh, the accommodations can be made and it, it is important to start early. Don't wait until the last minute, um, mm -hmm. you know, cause that's never a good thing with anything, but. Right. Which is often ironic given people with ADHD sometimes do procrastinate as a part of the thing and it can be overwhelming. And so, you know, I recommend to like people just bringing the paperwork to the sessions with their clinicians and like literally just doing it during the session, like use the mm -hmm. session time, get it done, do it with somebody. Um, because otherwise it will just sort of sit in a pile on the, on the desk and, uh, 
you know, not, or you need a printer and you don't know where a printer is and all these sort of things that can kind of get in the way. Like, don't let that be the, the reason. Right. <laughs> well, uh, Carlene, I had a, a great time uh, with this conversation and I'm uh, very nice. excited for everyone to hear this conversation. So I, I thank you for your time and um, just for providing uh, all of your knowledge about this topic. And um, just again, to keep raising awareness about mental health. And um, it, it's so important because as I said, when I started, we, uh, we've all been through some things, especially in this last year and a half. And- Oh, yes, um, been yes. through some things. Yes, yes, we've been through some things. <laughs> But, uh, yes. you know, it, it is, um, it's through conversations like this, though, where I feel uh, that they can be very beneficial to people, to for people who are listening and uh, just provide that, um, you know, that little push that they may need to reach out to someone because they're experiencing some type of, um, you know, some, some type of, of issues and, and they have some concerns about the way they are feeling. Um, as far as their mental health is concerned. So uh, thank you for uh, for this conversation. Absolutely. I really appreciate uh, really appreciate you taking the time out to speak with me today. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for all you do to, to spread awareness around this. Well, thank you so much. And you have a great day. You too. All, <laughs> all right. right. Bye. <laughs>